The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to discuss how marketing strategies can change around the globe. Joining us is Mike Maynard, who is the owner of the Napier Group, which is a PR-led full-service marketing agency that specializes in the B2B technology sector. They work closely with their clients to build campaigns focused on achieving results that have a significant impact on their clients' businesses and above all else, ensure maximum return on their investment. And today, Mike and I are going to talk about understanding the European marketing landscape. Okay, here's my conversation with Mike Maynard, owner of the Napier Group. Mike, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Thanks for having me on the podcast, Ben. I owe you a big debt of gratitude. It is close to the holidays. It is noon here, Pacific Standard Time, and you are staying up late to be our guest. Thank you for being our guest. And tell us a little bit about yourself and your agency. No problem. So I actually started my career as an electronics design engineer, building anything from mixing desks for recording studios to uh, big printing machines that use lasers, which was very cool. They had lasers that could burn through brick, which was one of the coolest jobs. But after about four or five years, I realized I wasn't enjoying the design part of the role, but I was really liking the talking about products and solutions. So I moved into what was called applications engineering in the electronic sector, which is basically technical support, and from that into marketing. So I've been doing marketing now for a little over 25 years in B2B tech in Europe. Just getting started. <laughs> Beginning to learn. <laughs> so you've obviously specialized. You mentioned that you focused on more technical side of marketing, B2B. You're also based in Europe Tell me a little bit about what life is like running an agency that's focused on B2B and technical sectors when you're working in Europe and specifically in the UK. It's actually a great business because you get to see all the latest innovations you know, as they're being developed. One of our clients, ABB, for example, does water processing. And somebody said to me, I said, it's amazing because working with ABB, I'm probably bringing water to more people than I could ever do in any of the charities. So it's a really fascinating business. And the great thing about Europe is that there's relatively free trade with everywhere in the world. So we're seeing products and technologies come from not only within Europe, but also from the States and the Far East, so China and Japan particularly. So we get a great view across the world of what's happening. 
So I'm a little biased. I live in the suburbs of San Francisco. I'm in Silicon Valley, and it feels like the center of the technology universe is here at home. And there is a little bit of a geographic split here in the United States of, you know, the hub where I live, where you get the Apples and Googles and Microsoft has an office, all, all this other stuff. But then you have Oracle and Adobe. There's all these big companies. There's a tech startup, right? It, it just seems like the center of the technology world is here. And it makes my view very biased and I don't think a lot about what life is like when you're working in international or even other geographies. That's just the nature of being born where I am born. Talk to me about the landscape of marketing in Europe. Do you feel like you have the same sort of mainstay technology companies? Where are they based? Or are you feeling like the center of the technology universe is somewhere else and you're sort of working in a different market? So the great thing about what we do is we work with clients from across the world. So we have clients from the Bay Area. So, you know, one of our clients, Panassas, they develop the world's fastest data storage for supercomputers and they're based in Sunnyvale. So we get to work with the best from the US, but we also get to work with companies from other countries as well. So one of our clients, which is really interesting, they're a company based in Switzerland and they make sensors that measure current and voltage. So in many electrical systems, from trains all the way down to washing machines, you want to measure current because that allows you to get better control. And because the Swiss have this precision engineering background through their watchmaking industry, they've actually got a load of skills that they can then apply to measuring current. So they are the number one supplier in the world for current measuring devices. So we get to see the whole world. And, and you know, I certainly wouldn't say that the Bay Area isn't the center of gravity for uh, the world's technology, but it's certainly not the only place where we see innovation. So talk to me about some of the innovation that you're seeing coming specifically out of the European market. What are the brands that are making waves in the B2B technology and marketing sector? So if we Look in the technology sector, there's some really great companies. Some of them are our clients, some of them are not. For example, ARM make the processors that power all of Apple's handheld devices, so iPads and iPhones. So there's definitely some real high tech coming out. At the other end of the spectrum, you've got people making sensors, which is traditionally a very strong area. But we also have a real strength in terms of systems. So if you look at you know mobile communications, a lot of mobile technology, came from Europe. And we also have an incredibly strong automotive and industrial control sector. So whether you're looking at some of the automotive companies, and particularly the suppliers, you know, the people like the Continentals and Bosch's who are developing the electronics for the next generation of electric cars, or companies like Siemens and ABB, who are world leaders in terms of industrial control, we've actually got some really great technology there. So from the technology side, it's great. From the marketing technology side, we have a slightly different situation because we have a very highly regulated industry. And I think that's maybe perhaps stifled some of the potential growth of marketing companies in Europe because of regulations like GDPR. So talk to me about some of the challenges that working in the European market makes you face. Obviously, GDPR, there's some privacy concerns and there's also a melting pot of cultures in geographically, you know, the countries are smaller, there's more of them. The United States is totally different, obviously very large country, big population, and we have our demographically different pockets, but it's all one country. 
talk to me about some of the marketing challenges you face based on your geography. Well, one of the first challenges we face is language. And we've actually run campaigns in a total of 27 different European languages for our clients. So simply just dealing with the translation is a really big challenge for a lot of the larger campaigns that are running across multiple countries. But also, it's absolutely the case that the culture is very different from country to country. So communicating in a way that really resonates with each country's engineers or technical decision makers is actually quite difficult. And I think some of the biggest differences are between the UK, which is somewhat American in our outlook, we're fairly laid back and fairly relaxed, and Germany, which has a very different approach to the way they think about things. We talk about workflow when we're trying to sell products because the German culture is to make sure that processes are efficient and they think process first rather than product or technology. So we've not only got to communicate in a different language in the German market, but we've also got to communicate to really quite a different mindset as well. I think that's an important distinction and the difference between culture and just translation. It's one of the things that I had a podcast that I did for my uh, SEO show, the Voices of Search podcast, where we did International SEO Week. And one of the big distinctions was you can't just translate word for word. There is a huge difference in terms of how things are perceived and how language is different. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. One of my favorite international marketing snafus is the Chevy Nova, the car (laughs) that was built in the 70s in the United States that Chevrolet tried to import to Mexico. And the story goes something along the lines of it didn't sell well because Nova means no go. How do you avoid the translation mistake? And how do you adjust your cross-country, cross-border campaigns to make sure that they're culturally relevant? So I think there's two levels to that answer. I mean, one is avoiding the real clangor of having a brand or something that is offensive or just has the wrong meaning in particular languages. 
Most companies today do actually check in major languages to make sure there's no issues. Although I would say in Europe, actually, because there's such a high level of English speaking, particularly amongst our audience who are technical professionals, it's actually less of a problem. I mean, there is some flexibility and people are given a little bit of leeway for brands that don't quite work in particular languages. In terms of communicating effectively and really getting the message across rather than just getting words across, that's much more difficult. And we see quite often companies who perhaps want to save a little bit of money on translation. They go for an example for a translator that doesn't understand the technology they're marketing or even worse, go for automatic translation. And it just means that you're communicating really inefficiently. So your audience doesn't get excited, doesn't get engaged. And frankly, at the end of the day, doesn't want to buy your product or service. So it's all about making sure you have a translator who understands not only the language, but also the audience they're translating for and the technology they're writing about. So walk me through that process. It seems like the translation process, it's not as simple as, you know, I do transcriptions and you can have them translated. And there's a service that I use, rev.com or temi.com to be able to, you know, create text from audio and you can translate it into multiple different countries. Sounds like that's not the best practice when you're thinking about marketing campaigns that are international. How do you ensure that your international campaigns are going to be contextually relevant? I mean, that's great. And actually, Temi and Rev are, are great services, and we use them for some of our activities, but not for the translation, the marketing materials. The way we do it is we have a network of translators that we've built up over years that we work with closely. Typically, these guys are either specialist translators or more commonly, actually journalists based in a country who are writing about the kind of products that you know we're promoting or services we're promoting. So they understand the market, they understand the technology, and they also understand the audience. So it's about picking, frankly, really good writers in each country. Not really that different to writing the original copy in English. You just need to pick someone who understands and can write great copy. I think that's the key distinction here is that it's not just about finding a writer who understands the language, but also finding someone who understands it locally, right? Someone Chinese, for example, there's multiple dialects in China, having somebody that's writing for the specific region that you're trying to write for so they can communicate what you're trying to say effectively so it resonates with that market is a key tip. You mentioned that you have a network of translators that you've worked with. You have to build a team. You have to build relationships. Are there services that you recommend when you're thinking about translating content and working campaigns into new markets? In general, we don't use any of the standard translation bureaus. There will be occasions when we do, you know, particularly where we have a request for a language that we very rarely need and therefore maybe don't have a translator. But whenever we can, we'd always pick a specialist rather than pick a generalist because the quality and the effectiveness is so much better. When you get into highly technical content as well, it's very easy to mistranslate. And we've seen that. The other thing we've seen is that some of our clients really care about how they're perceived. So there's different ways you can translate. We had a client who actually, you know, we started working with and they came back and they said, we don't like this translation. They sent some changes, we're back and forth. And eventually we got the translator and the client on the phone. And there was this long conversation in German. And then eventually the client explained something. The translator gets said, I understand it. You don't want me to translate to German. You want me to translate to slang. And the client was like, that's exactly what we want. We're an American company. We want to sound American. 
don't make it proper German. <laughs> and it was quite funny in the way they expressed it. But it really gives a good indication that translation is not simple. And you know that. I mean, the way people will express things from Texas is very different from San Francisco. And that's not just accent, it's the words they use. So I think it's really important to understand how you want your brand to feel, you know, whether you want it to feel like a, and the example this client gave was, you know, we don't want to be a 65-year-old professor of German. We want to be a 30-year-old young engineer who spent a year in the States. And that's how we want to feel. And I think translation is so much more interesting, exciting than just changing words from one language to another. I think there's two sides of the coin here. There's one where you have to worry about the content and the translation when you're moving and make sure that your message is relevant. And on the flip side, you mentioned GDPR and some of the regulations. Just give me a quick preview on how you're dealing with some of the privacy concerns and how you're able to, when you're marketing, be effective in terms of your data collection, when you get your copy and you get your message out to the right audience, how are you able to make sure that you're effectively marketing across borders? I think my initial answer is, if you're doing good campaigns, you actually don't care about GDPR. Because once you start infringing on the regulations, you're almost certainly going to be pushing the line a little too far, and you're going to be upsetting potential customers. So there is this culture of privacy, there is this expectation in Europe that actually people should control what's being sent to them in terms of marketing materials. And it's a very different culture to the US. So to a large extent, GDPR reflects culture and therefore reflects what you should do to make effective campaigns in Europe, rather than being a hugely restrictive regulation that stops us marketing. And in fact, it absolutely doesn't. You know, one of the things we see is that in Europe, marketing automation is fantastic because built into marketing automation is effectively GDPR compliance from opt-in, if you choose to go through an opt-in route, all the way through to tracking when consent was obtained through to actually allowing you to have a proper life cycle for the contacts and delete the contacts or remove them if they've been inactive for a long period of time. I think that's one of the things that sticks out to me the most about the complexities and one of the things that's intimidating when you're thinking about, for me, what would be going international with marketing is the different rules and regulations in different geographies. Obviously, Europe was profiled recently last year with the launch of GDPR. Are you seeing any other regulations around the globe outside of GDPR that are making it difficult or more complex to market in specific regions? Again, we're not seeing necessarily regulations causing us problems, but there are certainly regulations coming in across the world, really, that are going to impact what you can and can't do. So I know, for example, California is looking at bringing in regulation that is actually not that dissimilar from GDPR in principle. So I think it's going to continue to grow across the world as being something people need to be aware of. But I think there's basic principles that if you follow them, you'll actually be compliant really through good practice rather than necessarily through simply trying to obey regulations. At the end of the day, understanding who your customer is and what their needs are are going to be what drives business results. And I think a key component in that is understanding their geography and some of the cultural norms and also the rules and regulations that drive their decision-making process. So we're going to talk a little bit more about this tomorrow. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Mike Maynard, the owner of Napier Group, for joining us. In part two of our interview, which we're going to publish tomorrow, Mike is going to talk to us a little bit about how you can think about launching or extending your brand into different markets. 
If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Mike, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter. His handle is Mike underscore Maynard, M-I-K-E underscore M-A-Y-N-A-R-D. Or you can visit his company's website, which is NapierB2B.com. Just one link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to our new website, martechpod.com, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D.com. We've got summaries of all of our episodes, contact information for our guests. You can sign up for our weekly newsletter, and you can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can also reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D, on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, pretty much everywhere. And my personal handle is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, in addition to part two of my conversation with Mike Maynard, owner of the Napier Group, we're going to publish an episode every day during the week. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and check back with us tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.